welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. And so in the short time that I have this morning, I want to read a portion of Scripture. Now what you need to understand about Scripture um, or the Bible is that it has two Testaments, the New Testament and the Old Testament. The New Testament has 27 books in it, 27 books. It has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It has 21 letters to explain the meaning of Jesus in our lives today. It also has one book that is based upon the history of the church, the book of Acts. And it also has one book dedicated to prophecy, uh, and that's found in the book of Revelation. But all of these books, all the 27 books of the New Testament deal with Jesus as alive, risen from the dead, and that He is the central living reality in the universe today. He Himself being very God and very man. All of the 27 books in the New Testament will say the same thing. And today I want to look at the very first appearance Jesus made after His resurrection. What you need to understand about Jesus is the Pharisees couldn't stand him, Pilate couldn't fault him, Herod couldn't kill him, the grave, sorry, death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. This is the power of the resurrection. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overwhelmed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now what you need to understand is this is the evening of the first day that he was raised to life. In the morning of the first day, it was Mary Magdalene who went to the tomb. And she saw the tomb was empty. She had an angelic visitation. He says, why are you looking For the living amongst the dead, don't you know that he is risen? Remember when he said he would rise on the third day? Well, this is that day. Go and tell the disciples. So Mary Magdalene runs off. (laughs) To the men. Something's never changed, ladies. The men didn't believe her. They thought that she was out of her mind. As I said before, some things never seem to change. So two of the disciples, John and Peter, go running. John gets there first. He stops at the edge of the tomb. Peter gets there last. But not to be outdone, he goes into the tomb first. And they find the tomb exactly as Mary had said. But they didn't get it. Jesus said he would rise again. They saw the empty tomb, but they were still confused. 
Evidence of the resurrection alone is not enough. We need a revelation. These guys saw the evidence of the empty tomb and the fact that the tomb was empty is not in doubt. And so they waited all day to find out what on earth could have happened with the body of Jesus. They actually thought some of the soldiers had moved the body. And it's on this very first day of the resurrection of Christ, Jesus makes his first appearance to all the disciples. And what you need to know about this account is there are three things I want to highlight today, three important things about this very first appearance. Because they have an incredible meaning for us today. The first thing that stands out to me about this first appearance is that the doors were locked. The doors are locked and we don't read of Jesus knocking on the door. We don't read of Jesus opening the door. He was just simply there. The doors were locked, but somehow Jesus got in. I mean, when you read the Bible, you've got to, you've got to not read over these incredible moments. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, we tend to just read over the Scripture. Oh yeah, the doors were locked. And we miss some incredible moments. The doors were locked, but Jesus was there. And He was not a ghost. He said, he said look at my hands. He got them to touch His hands. He showed them His side. They were able to see Him. They were able to touch Him. He even ate fish and bread in front of them. This was not a ghost. But Jesus in His resurrected form comes back to them with a body like ours, but it's not like ours. It's like ours, but it's not like ours. Jesus has this resurrected body that they can see and touch. He can eat natural food and yet He can walk through doors. It's like ours, but it's just a little bit different. And what this means to me is this, that Jesus can go where no man can go. The fact that the doors were locked and Jesus just happens to be amongst them says that Jesus can get where no other person can get in your world. Jesus is able to get into the deepest recesses of your life. Even if you try and lock Him out. Those things that you're trying to hide from Him, He knows about it. So I'm not telling anybody. You don't have to tell anybody. He knows. Whenever I'm preaching, people say, oh, you don't know what I've done. That's right, I don't, but He does because He's able to get behind your locked doors. He's able to go where no man has gone before. He can go where no counsellor can go. With all due respect 
to counsellors. He can go where no doctor can go. With all due respect to the doctors in the house. I mean, there's this poor woman who just spent all she had and, and she went to the doctors and she received all the advice she could. And they couldn't help her. And when the doctors came to the end of themselves, Jesus just steps in and brings healing. My niece recently, having gone to the best of the doctors in our state and received the best advice that she could receive, they came to this conclusion, we don't know what's wrong with her. Enter Jesus. She receives healing and Jesus gets where no doctor can go and brings instant, miraculous healing in Jesus' name. He's not put off by our locked doors. He can go where no counsellor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. Oh, how many people have had broken relationship after broken relationship only to try and find hope with another relationship to find that one just as broken. Jesus can go where no lover can go. Jesus can go where no friend can go. He has no limit to His love. He can reach you and He can reach into you anywhere, anytime. There is no place that you go and there is no part of your personhood that Jesus cannot penetrate. What He is capable of, we can't even imagine. He's beyond our comprehension. Can you imagine the disciples on that day? I mean, you, you've got to read the Bible for what it is. The disciples are like, how did you get in here? I mean, that's pretty freaky. Make sure the doors are locked. Did you lock the doors? Yes, we're all checking the door. Cool. And then there's somebody, there's another man in the room. The question has to be asked, how did you get in there? And Jesus has an incredible way of getting into your world, into your life, into your mind, into your heart. Some of you who are unbelievers, non-Christians, unchurched amongst us today might look at me and look at others who have been here for a number of years and think, you know, it's all right for you guys as if by, you know, conclusion that this is what I always wanted to do. I never wanted to do this. I didn't even like Christians. I didn't like a lot of pastors. They were too miserable for my liking. I didn't want to do this. And I put up my walls and I locked my doors and I said, yeah, Lord, you know, I love you, but no ministry, no, no, thank you. Lock the door, swallow the key, done. And Jesus just has a way of getting in. He has a way of helping me to see things that I've never seen before.
You can try and lock him out all you like. But he has an incredible way of just getting into your world and into your life. Firstly, the doors were locked. Secondly, it says that they were all afraid. They're a bunch of fraidy cats. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you a fraidy cat? Love the sound of people talking in church. Awesome. Fantastic. Again, as I've said before, when you read the Bible, you've got, you've got to read it for what's really happening. The trouble is when you've been a Christian for a number of years, you kind of get used to the stories and, and you don't enter into the story anymore. I want to help you enter into the story. The trouble is when we read the stories, we already know the end, so we know how it turns out. So we think, man, why were they so worried? Why were they so afraid? Gee, guys, get a life. But I think if you enter into the story, if you put yourself in that upper room at that time, you and I would be just as afraid as they were. I think their fear, uh, their fear was very real and very warranted. You see, their king, Jesus, had just been put to death because he'd opposed Caesar. And by virtue of being followers, they themselves were opposing Caesar. So they were afraid of their lives. Let's not forget that. Fear is a very real thing. People are afraid of all sorts of things. There's a lot of people in this room who be afraid of spiders, which is ridiculous. Spiders are tiny things, but we're afraid. We're big and they're little and we're afraid. Who's afraid of spiders? Look at you all. We're afraid of spiders, but we read the Bible and we say, why were they so afraid? <laughs> They're going to be killed more than likely. Spiders, life on the line. We're afraid of all sorts of things. Some people are afraid of dogs. Who's afraid of dogs? I'm not, if they're this little and they're white and, and fluffy. can wear them as slippers. I'm not afraid of them. <laughs> Just open your mouth. Whoop. Whoop. Anyone afraid of cats? I gotta be very afraid of cats. Cats are devious. They'll hunt you down when you least expect it. Dogs are just stupid. They're like, <laughs> cats are like, they just wait for an opportune time. They're like the devil. <laughs> you know, dogs let you know what's going on. Woo, woo, woo. Cats are like, sit and wait. When you least expect it. <laughs> With cats, be very afraid. You know, people, it's, it's amazing. Some people are even afraid of the color yellow. Seriously, look it up. You can Google it. It's even got its own name. People are afraid of certain colors. I mean, look at Dr. Lee over here. She's wearing yellow. Imagine if you're afraid of yellow. Ah, just. Imagine if you're afraid of yellow and doctors. I mean, you'd be in trouble with Kathy. <laughs> A doctor wearing yellow. Oh, my God. I mean, seriously, this, I, I, Google it. People are afraid of all sorts of things. 
And here's the disciples in the upper room. They're afraid. Maybe you're afraid this morning. Afraid of the future. Afraid of the unknown. Afraid of death. Afraid of the lack of money. Afraid of what's happening in Korea right now. Afraid of what's happening with the American dollar. All these things bring fear in people's lives. And it's into this fear that Jesus comes. <laughs> the disciples are afraid. And in the midst of the fear, Jesus comes. Telling us that when His disciples are afraid, Jesus comes into His own. By virtue of Jesus coming to them while they were afraid, He was saying, you don't have to have your act together for me to come. You don't have to be perfect. I'm happy to be with you in your fear. In actual fact, I'm at my best when you're at your worst. It's into our fear that Jesus comes. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. And I can say honestly that this is true for me. I've cried out to God thousands of times in my fear, in my doubt, in my uncertainty. And I've always found it to be true that Jesus meets me in my fear. He's always done one of two things for me when I'm afraid. He either delivers me from my fears, supernaturally removes certain situations and obstacles. He removes and delivers. Or He gives me the strength to face my fears. Either way, Jesus is not put off by my fear, but He meets me in the midst of my fear. And He either strengthens me to face my fear or He supernaturally removes it. And for over 30 years, He's been doing that in my life. I know He's been doing that in others in this room's life. And He was doing it for the disciples. You don't have to have it all together. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God, and I will help you. Wow. Wow, what great words. And He will do this for you. He will meet you in your fear. The third thing that we see on this very first Resurrection Sunday, not only were the doors locked and the disciples were afraid, but Jesus stood among them. Jesus stood in the midst of them. Jesus stood in the middle of them. You've seen the series, Malcolm in the Middle. Well, this is Jesus in the middle. I love this. Jesus is not on the edge. Jesus is not on the other side of the door. 
He's not talking through a wall. He just gets right in the middle of things. That's what relationships are all about. It's us getting in the middle of things. Anybody can keep a distance, but Jesus gets right in the middle. Right in the midst of their fear. Right in the midst of their concern. He makes himself available. And that says something to us that Jesus doesn't want religion that keeps him at a distance. Jesus didn't die for us and and, and was raised to life on the third day just so we could keep him at a distance. That's what was happening before. He was at a distance. He did all that so that we could be up close and personal. He went to the cross. He died. He took upon Himself our sin. He was raised from the dead so that we could be close, so that we could do life together. Jesus always wanted to be with His disciples, not just around them. He wanted to be with them. You know, I went to South Africa recently with Benno. We had a great time. 12 days. It was awesome. With one exception. My wife wasn't with me. And after 12 days, I came back with this very real, very clear notion that I did not get married to be apart. I already knew that, but 12 days away, and that's the longest I've ever been away from her. The last time I was away that long was 13 years ago. And having come back from South Africa, it just further established why I got married. It was so that I could be with her. I didn't get married just to say I'm married. I just want to get married just so just I get rid of that stigma of being single. Oh, I'm finally married. I've got a ring. I lost my wedding ring ages ago. One of, one of the guys in South Africa said, your, your wedding ring is a billabong ring. I said, yeah, it only costs 30 bucks. I said, because I didn't get married to wear rings. Some of you had a horrible wedding day, it rained and the photos weren't great. It doesn't matter. You didn't get married to have a nice wedding photo. You got married to be with her. And I didn't become a Christian just to say, oh, I'm a Christian. Just a bit of life insurance. Remember Jesus, I'm a Christian. You've got to let me into heaven. That's not why Jesus came. Bit of fire insurance. So I don't get burnt in hell. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come as an insurance policy. He came as a lover. He came as a friend. He came as one who wants to do life with us and be with us. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? For me, it's such a silly argument. Why do you want to be a Christian and not go to church? Why do you want to be a Christian and not hang around with Jesus? I don't get that. I mean, for me, the argument about being a Christian and going to church would be like, you know, can I be married and not see my wife? 
Like, oh, I suppose a lot of people do that. But it's not what God had in mind when it comes to marriage. It's not about whether what's, what you can and can't do. It's about, is that what you really want? Is that what you really want from a marriage? You don't want to see each other, but you want to stay married because of your business, because of, you know, the financial benefits, because you can't find somebody else, because you both like this particular home you're in. That's, that's not the purpose. Jesus comes back for them because he wants to be with them. He went through hell so he could be with you. And that's a picture of us, what relationships are like. We're going to go through hell in order to keep the relationships. Because relationships aren't easy. They're not always pleasant. You're dealing with people who are of a different opinion than you, a different sex than you, a different persuasion than you, different understandings different personalities. It's, it's, it's hard to do relationships and to make them work. You've got to go through hell at times. But Jesus came through hell and said, it's worth it. I still want to be with you. Yeah. Kath and I have had our moments. 29 years we've been together, including the time we've been married and the time we dated. We've had some moments. And I would go through all of those moments again for the sake of what we have now. It's worth it. And Jesus standing in the midst of them and saying, it's worth it. You're worth it to him. And as he stood in the midst of them, he said three things. One, peace be with you. These are the incredible gifts of the resurrection to us. You can have peace because of the resurrection. Because of what Jesus did, sin was atoned for. You can have peace now with God and you can have the peace of God. Peace be with you. The second thing he said was receive the Holy Spirit. You can have power. The promise of the resurrection is peace. It's power See, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. That happened some seven weeks later. But it was kind of like a dramatized parable. And in breathing on them, he was saying, my breath, my life, my words, my power is going to come upon you through the Holy Spirit. It was a little dramatized parable. So wait for it, because the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to do what you can't do. There are a lot of Christians today letting the side down because they're trying to live like Christians without the supernatural power that Jesus promised. Jesus is asking us to do some really hard things, and He knew we couldn't do it in our own strength. He said, you've got to love your enemies. That's, that's hard. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is resurrection power. You can have resurrection peace, peace with God, the peace of God. You can have resurrection power through receiving the Holy Spirit. And the third thing he says is this, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. 
And this is resurrection purpose. Resurrection peace. Resurrection power. Resurrection purpose. When we respond to Christ, He gives us peace. He gives us the power and He gives us purpose and meaning for life. Many people do not know why they are here. And so they're sleeping around. They're walking around, eating around, drinking around, working around, playing sport around, getting married around, having kids around, buying new homes and cars around, but for no purpose, no reason. When Jesus hung upon the cross, He said, it is finished. He didn't die young. He didn't die old. He died finished. He died on purpose, knowing that it achieved the reason for which He came. Do you know why you're here? I never used to know why I was here. But Jesus has given me purpose for my life. I used to be the shyest of all kids. If our musicians can come, that'd be great. Just about to close. I used to be the shyest of all kids. I would never, ever, ever do a talk like this. At school, teacher would get me out the front to give a morning talk. Tony wanted to tell the class what he did on the weekend and I'd just be defiant. I'd just stand there. Just too scared, too afraid to speak. And the only reason I am able to do what I do today is because I've attached my life to purpose. God has purposed me to do what I do. Apparently, I'm a good communicator. Who knew? That was never written on any report at school. Tony is a great communicator. But I locked up my doors. I stood there. I didn't say anything. And God met me in my fear. God brought purpose to my life. He's brought about a peace and a joy. It is my desire. And it's the purpose that I've been placed here to help people be connected to God, to His church, and ultimately to their purpose. Everything I do has those three things in mind. I want to connect people. I want to see people, precious people, connected to God. I want to see them connected to His church. Because it's His church Jesus is coming back for. And I get no greater thrill seeing people tap into their purpose. That's why we as a church exist. And that existence was made possible because of what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago because he had me in mind and he had you in mind. What is the purpose of the resurrection? You are. What is the purpose of Jesus going through all that pain? You. What is the purpose of being raised after three days? You. What is the purpose of Jesus 
being ascended back into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. You are. Why does Jesus continue to pray and intercede for his people? Because he loves you. You matter to God. And just as Jesus was able to walk through locked doors and stand in the midst of disciples that were afraid, that very same power on that day, He's able to do again today. He's able to do it amongst His disciples. He's able to do it amongst unbelievers. He's able to do it amongst the confused and the unsure, the uncertain, the defeated and the deflated. He's able to meet you right where you are. This is our God. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.